0: Uh, you guys can be seated. Good morning. Uh, happy New Year uh, to you all. Uh, we're, we're glad uh, we're glad that you're here, um, all eighteen of you. So um, <laughs> we're, we're really glad that you're here. And all teasing aside, but uh, today uh, today's going to be a little different. If you've been attending uh, Northwest, you kind of know what today is already. Uh, but this is uh, the the kind of last Sunday of the year, although it's really the first Sunday of the new year. But It's kind of Scott and I's opportunity uh, to talk through some of the things that happened in the last year, uh, in uh, the culture, um, in our church, just in general, and to kind of give a a kingdom perspective. This started with a a podcast that he and I did uh, uh, probably three or four years ago now um, called Kingdom Perspective, where we would talk about issues of the day um, and just trying to have God's kingdom as a perspective for it. And so we're going to talk through... Um, a lot of different topics here. Um, some of them, some of them, just to be real blunt, are hot topics uh, that that took place this year in our culture. And we're going to do our best to just kind of talk about it in a kingdom way, in a in a way that is glorifying to God. And so we always want to give a kingdom perspective, and we also kind of want to model because our culture is not very good at this uh, conver- conversating about issues. And you're not not going to hear either of us yell at each other at all. All right. Um, I hope you weren't, oh, blown, 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 I know, I, I know it's, to assume, <laughs> right. yeah, well, I'll speak for me, so uh, you're, you're not, you're not going to hear me yell, so, um, and uh, so let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll kind of get into it a little bit, all right, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for the day, uh, we thank you for the way that you're uh, working um, in our world and in our church, and as we just kind of talk about what we're learning this year, and what we've learned um, about you, and 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 who you are, that Um, This would be a a good, rich time uh, talking about those things, being in your word, and that we'd be uh, blessed by being here together. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So one of the places we wanted to to kind of start is on a personal level for, for each of us, just about what God's been teaching us individually. Uh, through 2022 as we go into 2023. And uh, Cheryl and I were talking as I was getting ready for this that, man, for our family, the last quarter of 2022 was just exceedingly difficult uh, for our family. Uh, Cheryl, uh, we lost her sister uh, back in October uh, just really suddenly, um, and that that really rocked us. And then shortly after that, uh, she needed a, a significant surgery um, that, that we were going to walk through, and it just was a really, really difficult last quarter of the year for, for us. And uh, we learned a couple of things kind of through that process. One is the scripture that says God is close to the brokenhearted is 100% true. Uh, God draws near uh, to the brokenhearted and, 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 and loves them and, and serves them well. Uh, the other thing that we've learned a lot is how much we just love our church family. Uh, and we love being a part of a community and how important that is. I'm reminded of Acts 2 about the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe with the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we've experienced this in really good times as a family, and we've experienced this in in really hard times about what the church community can mean to a person. And if I'm being honest, one of my concerns in the current age that we're living in is that we are becoming so siloed from one another. We're all kind of operating in our own world, and we're losing this community, and um, we're, we're losing this depth of relationship And if I can diagnose what's happening right now a little bit, we're becoming increasingly separated from God, and we're becoming increasingly separated from one another, and we're wondering why everybody's anxious and afraid, (laughs) you know, that these are the institutions that God has given us to serve one another, God and each other. These are the two, love God, love others. These are the two things he's given us. And you see these things eroding in our culture, and we're anxious, and we're afraid, and mental health is spiraling downward. And I think this is a huge part of it. We're becoming way too siloed from one another.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and for my family, um, this last year, 2022, a lot of it was about getting back to normal. Um, We're still kind of in that weird space uh, of of mourning the loss of things from 2020, it just feels like 2020 never ended, you know, in a <laughs> lot of ways, and uh, and so last year was about getting back to normal. Uh, my family was able to to take a, a trip to Disney World during spring break, cool. um, and all six of us, uh, we, you know, we were able to share that um, with uh, with our youngest who had never been before. Uh, we were able to do a, a camping trip together over the summer. Um, Seth and Izzy both played spring uh, sports. They both had summer jobs. Ethan started high school with them, so I have three in high school now. And so a lot of it was getting back to normal finally, um, and being able to do like normal, like teenager things without worrying that they were going to be taken away suddenly. Um, and and so that was you know this year. And and Seth and Izzy are both seniors in high school this year. And so that's that kind of an added uh, stress of you know visiting colleges and. Uh, worrying about money <laughs> a lot um, in between like attending all the events, football games and marching band and, and you know, all the different stuff that we've got going on. And, um, and then Nikki started kindergarten uh, five days a week, all day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's been really good for everybody, actually. She's been doing an awesome job. And, and so those things kind of like looking at what we're learning this year, um, this year has been really financially stressful for our family because um, getting back to normal is expensive. Uh, and this year in particular, it was uh, it was very expensive. Yeah, um, inflation, we'll it was. Yeah, our, our grocery bills were were already high for a family of six, and they just kept going up all year. And uh, and you know, just to be frank, we we burned through most of the money in our savings account to try to keep up, and so it's been stressful. Uh, but one of the things we w- we learned, or at least we were reminded of time and time again, uh, is that God provides. Um, that that you know Sarah was moved into a full time position, and so she's she 's bringing in uh, additional income that has helped us a lot and um, w- when our savings were running really low last month we we unexpectedly received some assistance that uh, helped pay for our holiday groceries and so like just things like that where where i don 't know i don 't know where the money 's going to come from i don 't exactly know how college is going to get paid for but i'm i 'm being reminded that that's not a terrible position to be in because it puts me in a position to have to trust right. God. Right. Um, and, and so that's, that's one thing. And I think the other big thing for us in the last year has been just balancing the needs and schedules uh, of two adults and four kids, uh, 217, 114, 115. Uh, in my house. And so uh, everybody's so busy and so wrapped up in, in their own stress, really, like what you've been talking about. I've seen it in my family. Everybody's in their own silo and we can't keep track of each other's schedules. Nobody, know, nobody ever knows where anybody else is or what they're doing or, or why. And, and so it's really stressful to, ex- to have an expectation. Like when you get home, like, all right, I thought people were going to be here no one's here. (laughs) Where are they all? So like that, that has been stressful trying to coordinate all that and get on the same page and, and find space to be together as a family. That's been difficult this year.
0: So let's move into, let's talk about politics a little bit. I don't know if you heard there was an election this year.
1: Um, (laughs) I felt like when we came up, we should have like shook hands (laughs) and gone Uh, to our podiums or something.
0: If I'm being totally honest with you, and I think I will be in this in this message, so for change, um, yeah, yeah, for change, <laughs> yeah. If I'm being honest, the election pleasantly surprised me. Like I, I, I in, in terms of, I felt like the divide was going to be bigger than it was, and I didn't feel like it was angry as and contentious uh, as previous elections ha- had been. But that's still there. Yeah, we're we're still very very divided from one another politically. Uh, and I think sometimes you can have a feeling when you come into a space like this that everybody is unified politically. And let me just, they're not, all right? Uh, I talk politics with different people here and we, we have a variety of views, even in this room, for how we view the political process. And so we are very divided from, from one another as a nation and as a culture. And I think the reason is twofold. Uh, I think one is we're expecting politics to solve problems that they're not equipped to solve. All right, so we've talked about it here before. Politics solve political problems. The difference that I have with a lot of people is I don't think most of our problems are political. Uh, I think most of our problems are spiritual. We're gonna talk about marriage in a few minutes. To me, and I know you're gonna talk about this too, that's a spiritual issue. We're gonna talk about life in a few minutes. Life, to me, is a spiritual issue. So the, these aren't going to be solved by the political process. These are, these are spiritual issues. So I think we're expecting politics to solve issues like that. But the other thing is that I think politics has become a bit of an idol in our, in our nation, a, a false god, which is something that you're relying on to do and be what God should do and be. Um, And part of our responsibility as pastors and part of our responsibility as a church is to call out idolatry when we see it. So let me give you an example from the scripture. This is Paul addressing the Corinthian church. Uh, He's talking about the Old Testament and then bringing lessons forward. He said, now these things occurred as as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and got up to indulge in every revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in day uh, twenty-three thousand, and in one day twenty-three thousand of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. All right. Welcome to the Church in Corinth. All right. So, what Paul is doing in this text, right? He's calling out the idols that he sees. The idols of sexual immorality, of grumbling, of revelry, right, of of living however you want to live. He's naming the idols, and he's calling them out. Now, I think our American idols are different. I think they are sexual sin. I think that's an idol that we have. It's one that every generation struggles with. The pursuit of leisure, uh, I I think, would be an idol. uh, And politics. Are, are an idol that our nation has. And so some of our attitude can be, no, 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 people are going to disagree. Don't talk about politics. Whatever you do, don't talk about politics. I think politics should be discussed in this way, as calling it out as the idol that it is and saying, don't trust in politics, trust in God. Right? God God is who we need to shape us. God is who we need to make us new. And so I think where some churches go wrong is that they buy into a piece of legislation or they buy into a politician's idea and they say, oh, this is going to solve it and they start advocating for that and what they're really doing is setting up the idol for their people to see. Like, hey, trust in this. Trust in this candidate. Trust in this legislation. Trust in this uh, action. And they're raising, un- unintentionally, they're raising up an idol. I think if you're going to talk about politics, it needs to be, don't. No, no, no. Don't trust in politics. Don't trust in the politician.
1: Trust in God. So, so do you vote? I do. So, so you're not advocating that we don't engage politically at all? No, I, w- I
0: wouldn't advocate for that. Um, I also, I, I think you and I might disagree on this a little bit. I don't believe it's a, I also don't believe it's a Christian imperative that you do. Right. I, um, I think there's
1: a lot of reasons a person, a Christian might not vote. Right. That I would affirm. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. actually. Yeah. I, but, but I also think that as I, look at, as I look at Scripture, as I look at the New Testament, um, Paul didn't shy away from using his Roman citizenship to his advantage. Right. And so I don't, I don't think it's a problem necessarily for an, an, an individual Christian. I think when churches get engaged in politics, it almost always becomes problematic. But for an individual Christian to engage in politics, I vote uh, in, in elections. I vote for candidates that I think... Are going to line up most closely with the honestly with the way I would do things if I were there. That's kind of I'm very pragmatic minded when it comes to to politics. Um, certain issues tend to be. Uh, important to me, you know, more just like anybody, you know, more important to me than than other issues, and and so I pay attention to those, and I I try to do my research before I vote. I try to I try to figure out what congressional district I'm in, since Decatur is somehow in two now, and so I do all this research ahead of time, and then get to the polling place, and I was wrong. I'm actually in a different district, and good thing I researched both. But anyway, aside from that, um, I I just think that it's it is okay for for us to engage. Politically, to, to engage a process, but like what you to, to your point, what you're we saying, if if we place our trust in a political process or right. a political candidate or a political party, it quickly becomes idolatry. It does. It, it doesn't take any time at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it quickly becomes a, a matter of blind allegiance to whatever this party says or whatever that candidate stands for. We ignore the bad because we want to advocate for this candidate, and, and because the other candidate must be evil, and so we ignore the... the, the st- I mean, it's not Jesus. Jesus isn't running for office. And so there's, there are flaws with every candidate, but we're so quick to ignore them and get sucked in to what, what I think I agree with you, kind of an idolatrous mindset. We just have to be so careful with yeah. politics.
0: Yeah, right? and, and, to, and to remember that politics are going to sur- solve certain things and not solve other things. You know, So politics really cannot address the condition of a person's heart right you know there is no legislation that you can do to do that that that, that's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit and pointing people to Jesus I I I think people sometimes have the impression I I actually like politics Mm -hmm. um, and I enjoy kind kind of keeping track of it yeah stop into our office any weekday (laughs) yeah I've really had to guard my heart against it to be honest with you because of um, it just became something more than it should be. I think to me, yeah. Um, and I've grown. I've grown a little cynical about it as well, and its ability to solve, and its inability to solve problems. No,
1: Gen X cynical, <laughs> right? Right. No,
0: no. Yeah, yeah. It's you know to to just view it for what it is and to keep it in the lane it's supposed to be in. Yeah, I think is a good a good place to be.
1: Yeah. Well, I've always been really fascinated by politics. Right. I mean, from from the time that I, I went in with my mom to to those voting machines that had the huge like <laughs> lever that you right. pulled, yeah, yeah. And like I was fascinated <laughs> by these machines. Are amazing, yeah. and and yeah. you know I I wrote essays on this in like high school English classes. I've always been fascinated by the process, but I, I'm the same. It's really easy for me to get sucked in too much, um, and I have to guard against it. I have to I have to be careful. I don't I don't expect, and I, I know that there probably people might disagree with this a little
0: bit. I do not expect any political machine to advocate for my faith. Right. So that and that actually scares me when people start wanting that. Yeah. You know government. Legislate our our sense of faith right. and morality, right. and it's so, like uh, you know, in my, my understanding of history, that usually starts to go south in a hurry.
1: Right. That's a good foreshadowing to something that we're yeah, going to yeah. talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's worthwhile for us as Christians uh, to to think politically, to be to be aware of what's happening a- around us and and in our culture. Um, I, I mean, I think we should be students of our culture because not not because we're relying on our culture, or or our government, or a political party, to to solve all of our, our problems in life. But because our mission is to contextualize the gospel message to make sense to the world that we live in, right. and if we don't know Paul on Mars Hill exactly, yeah. I yeah, see, you have an unnamed God, right? Let me tell you about this guy. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've become all things to all people so that I might save right. some. Yeah. And so, if we don't have an understanding of what's happening in our culture, it it becomes difficult. To, to place the gospel in a context that people can readily hear. And so I do think it's important not to bury our heads in the sand and, and to know what's going on around us in our country politically and, and culturally. Um, that's not to say we should just go along with it, yeah. but to know what's happening so that we can best contextualize the gospel message to reach as many people as possible.
0: Yeah. That is a good transition into the next topic. I well, yeah,
1: yeah, I was stalling. So... <laughs> So this next topic, you know, speaking politically, as you look back through 2022, you know, when we, you know, the, look in the rearview mirror and we think, all right, 2022, what are the things we need to talk about? Um, 2022 had some big political things that happened that, that I agree with you for, for, for the purposes of the church and for Christians are not necessarily political, that, that they bleed into the spiritual realm. And we want to talk about those. We don't want to shy away from those. And so the first one we want to talk about happened just under three weeks ago. Um, The Respect for Marriage Act was passed uh, by Congress, signed into law by the president. Um, And so basically this law says that any marriage between uh, any two individuals is a valid marriage uh, under state law in every state. Um, And and so the the act itself, the law, uh, does not require religious organizations to provide goods or services uh, to formally celebrate a marriage that they don't support on religious grounds, uh, they they put in you know an exception in for for nonprofit religious organizations, um, so it doesn't affect the religious liberties in that way uh, or or the conscience protections. You know, you and I can both still uh, refuse to officiate a marriage that that would violate our beliefs. Uh, as as Christian pastors, as conscience, um, it also doesn't it, it also does not include marriages between more than two people. I know that that was something that uh, people were talking about. That like you know, well, this is just gonna you know, marriage isn't going to mean anything, and, and it, it is limited in its scope. Um, and I think it's important uh, before we get into to talking about how this law, because it is the law now, how this law is going to affect the church. I do think it's important to take an honest look at what it means for us. As Christians, what it means for for us as a church family, um, and so to do that, I guess I want to talk just a little bit about uh, about what the Bible says about marriage um, so the bible 's clear that god 's plan for marriage is a lifelong covenant commitment between one man and one woman that 's meant to reflect the covenant relationship between God and his people. I feel like i 'm on fairly firm ground biblically uh, characterizing biblical marriage that way and that's, that is a little bit of a
0: departure from our culture right. that the singular purpose of marriage is not to bring you joy. Hopefully your marriage does bring you joy, but the actual purpose of marriage is to reflect God's glory.
1: Right, so, right. Yeah. And, and because of that, I, the Bible consistently categorizes homosexuality as a sin. Um, I, I understand that that's a controversial thing to say. It places me in the minority in our culture to say it, but it's the Bible that, that says it, and I can't ignore what the Bible says. You don't write the mail, you I, just deliver I, exactly. it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I, I also want to point out that it's not just in the Old Testament. Um, that, I think, is an argument all the time, that it was an Old Covenant law that went away with, with the rest of the Old Covenant. Uh, homosexuality is included in at least four places in the New Testament. Um, it's included in two different lists of sinful behaviors uh, in New Testament letters. Um, and, and then I, I want to just really quickly hit on, I guess, I guess... Three clear places and one other one that I, I want to talk about really clearly really quickly. So um, the, the most detailed passage about marriage in the New Testament is actually found in 1 Corinthians 7, um, where Paul is advising that it's actually better for God's kingdom people to stay single, um, that, so that they can focus on ministry uh, and on serving God and not have their focus split. Um, that's really Paul's point. But he says if they can't, if people can't control themselves, they can't control their sexual desires, they should get married rather than falling into sin, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Here's what verse 2 says. He says, uh, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. And so I understand that it's an argument from silence, but nowhere in this entire chapter of Paul discussing that people should get married if they can't control themselves sexually, nowhere in this entire chapter does Paul offer a same-sex relationship as a solution to that. To, like You can't control yourself sexually, and so you can enter into this kind of a relationship. And I believe that's because God does not view same-sex relationships as biblical marriages. The other New Testament passage that informs our position on marriage is Romans 1. That's really the the main one that that you have to deal with, um, and in that chapter, Paul is describing the downward spiral uh, into sin that occurs when people turn their backs on God's truth. Um, when we replace God with idols of our own making and worship them, uh, Romans one twenty four says uh, that among other things, this is you know in a list of other things that happen. Uh, one of the things that happens is that God gave them the people who. Uh, chose idols over God. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And sexual impurity is a really general term in Greek uh, that could mean a lot of things. A lot of uh, things, sexual things outside of a marriage, really is basically the idea. Um, but just two verses later, Paul specifically talks about shameful lusts and he categorizes same sex acts as unnatural relations. And so, the, without getting into the weeds too much, the Bible has a position on marriage. And as Christians and as, and as the church, we have a responsibility to God's word. Um, whether we like it or not, we have a responsibility to God's word. So, the question for me is does this law require us, require Christians or churches to go against Scripture? And from where I sit, I don't think that it does. The the only thing this law does is to federally recognize a legal marriage performed in any one state as a legal marriage in every state. So if it's legal for you to get married in one state, every other state has to affirm that your marriage is legally valid. It's it's a question of the the law of the land and, and our biblical position. Those can be two different things.
0: Yeah, unless, unless you're expecting your government to advocate for your faith position. Right. You know, you know the, the bigger, which I would advise people against, you know, that you're going to set yourself up for significant disappointments in your life. Right. Um, if, if you plan on that. The big, the big thing with that legislation was the original, the original piece of legislation did not offer the protection to the churches. Yeah, that was scary. Um, and, and it ended up coming in a little bit later, which we are grateful for. Uh because one of one of our uh, one of our beliefs is that when you talk about the relationship between the government and the church, the separation of church and state that was not really meant to protect the government. The belief's always been the government's going to be just fine um, the government doesn't need protected from the church; the church needs protected from the government right to be able to advocate for what they feel is a biblical position right. and for them to be able to speak truth to power about idolatry and sin. Right. That the church needs to be able to f- be free to do that. Um, and the concern is that, the concern, and I'm not fearful, I am concerned that the trajectory of our nation is to eliminate that protection. Yeah. So that, that's the concern
1: yeah it was only, we were only eleven votes short of, right. of passing this bill well, without the amendment um yeah. and and that concerns me um the that we're headed in a direction that uh, we are willing to uh, you know our government that that our leadership is willing to consider uh eroding uh, many of the religious protections that that churches and Christians have enjoyed um, over the years constitutionally uh that That is alarming, honestly. That that concerns me. You
0: really really don't want the government, it sounds like we're kind of anti-government, we're really not, (laughs) but you really don't want the government being able to say to religious institutions, you can't say that. Right. You can't say that. Right. Um, Just do a quick kind of Google of history and it never goes well when government starts doing that.
1: Right. Um,
0: and, And so we really want those protections in place to be able to be in this space together, and for pastors that hopefully you love and trust, right, to be able to say, hey, from our reading of God's word and our study of God's word, we believe this is a sin, we believe this is an idol, and you can
1: enjoy this space and hear that news. Right. And, and look, yeah. according to, to Gallup, 71% of Americans support marriage for same-sex couples. So this law reflects the belief of the majority of the people in this country. And this country is a democracy. And so this is how it's supposed to work. The majority of the people in this country feel this way. And so we've passed a law that reflects what the majority believes. And that, to me, that makes sense. It makes sense that, that this happened. This, this didn't surprise me that, that this happened. Um, and while the Bible is clear that God defines marriage differently, the Bible is not the law of the land. That, that's the reality that, that we live in. And going back just to Romans 1 real quick, when Paul describes you know, the shameful acts and unnatural relations that God allows people to pursue if they choose, and, and I think that's important, God allows people to pursue those if they choose. God is not you know, striking people who, who choose sin. Thank, thank God <laughs> that he's not doing that. Um, he allows us to choose wrong uh, at, at times. I think there's an important line in Romans 1 for us that we often ignore. Verse 27 says, they received in themselves the due penalty for their error. That is to say, God doesn't pile on extra punishment when people choose that one sin. And neither should we. We're not called to pile on extra punishment or judgment for one sin over another. Um, You know, we're called to speak truth to power. We're called to call sin, sin. um, But we're not called to like punish people for their for when they choose sinful choices, um, and, and I did want to mention, if anybody's interested, I came across an excellent article in Christianity Today um, that, that's written by a Christian law professor at the University of Missouri, um, and I think it does a really great job walking through this law, uh, the, the the Respect for Marriage Act, and how it is likely to affect churches and Christians. Um, I, I bookmarked that, and if anybody wants. To to read that, I can print it out for you or send you a link. It was really great, Um, and so I just I wanted to get that in there too.
0: And I think you know sometimes you can. We need to move on to the next topic, but sometimes you can kind of believe that we're heading toward um, a persecution mindset. I don't actually believe that at all. My personal theory. I'm 46 right now. I, I think by the end of my career, it will be what will be said is why should the church be tax exempt? If they're advocating hate speech, yeah. I, I think that's where it will more go, um, and churches will have to make a decision uh, about uh, about taxes, essentially. Right. Um, and so, you know, I don't think we're I, I think we're a ways away from a, a persecutive mindset. Yeah. I, I don't think that's where we're heading, but I, I think we are looking at, you know, right. Hopefully, that'll be around the time we retire. That I'm hoping. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping. Yeah. I get. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit of time on the clock here, so it's, um, you know, that it's, yeah. um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about Roe v. Wade while we're in this sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, um, jump right and, in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so you probably- While we're at it, let's just make everybody you heard the news that some of that was uh, overturned and essentially kicked back to the states, uh, which if you're paying attention in Illinois, means not much has changed uh, in, in Illinois. And uh, we want to just kind of talk for a minute about some of the conversation that unfolded during that time. Um, I don't think it would really shock anybody to learn that I'm I'm pro-life and that I think my upbringing plays into that, the the way I was raised uh, by my parents. I also think the way our family was formed um, has has played into that Um, and, and our extended family that, you know, Cheryl and I both. Uh, adopted our, our children and our children's birth parents are heroes to us. That they they had their babies and recognized that they couldn't do it, and they we really talk highly of them to our to our children that the choices that they made. And then and my when you get to our extended family, uh, my sister has stepped into a very difficult situation with three foster children um, that that I won't go into on the stage, but a very difficult situation that they're. Uh, that they're um, stepping into, and that they have a, a special needs son that they also have, and um, all of those lives have tremendous value to us. <laughs> and, and so, as the conversation unfolds, we're not like, "Yeah, you know, I mean, some lives maybe it would be better." You will never hear me say something like that ever, right? Those those lives have real value to our family um, that we've personally experienced. So, I don't think it would be any. Shocked to kind of learn learn that about me. Uh, my my theology also plays into it quite a bit in that I've talked about this on the stage that God is a God of life. Um, life is really really in, important to Him. And what I was taken aback as the conversation unfold was the accusation toward a lot of Christians that we are pro birth but not really pro life as as a Christian community that that Christianity is not doing enough um, in, in the realm of, of life and what I was so taken aback by, by why I was so taken aback by it is that it just has not been my experience in any Christian community I've been a part of. <laughs> right. um, every Christian community I've ever been a part of has at least one life organization on, on their missions, and multiple families in the church that are adopting and fostering and safe familying and stepping into these difficult spaces and saying, your life matters, and, and I'm going to help. Right. You know, And so I've never been in a Christian community that really just totally turned its back on the issue of life, I, I guess. Right. Um, I also would never want that to be the future of the church. Let me talk to you for a minute about how God is a God of life. Way back in Genesis 1, he breathes life into man and he becomes a living being. The purpose of the law is to lead Israel to life. Jesus said about himself, I am the resurrection and the life. God promises through his son eternal life to those who believe. God is about life. And so as a people of God, we want to be about life. We want to be consistent about being about life as well. Right? Um so we we can't be about some lives. We can't advocate for some lives. We have to fight we can't fight for certain lives. We have to be a life people. Um and any accusation that is there and I think it's unfair to be totally honest with you but any accusation that is there that has any truth to it at all, we need to repent of and turn from and say no. We're about life. Right. We're about unborn life. We're about Black life, we're about white life. We're we're about life. Yeah, um, all, all lives because they're all precious and matter to God. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and, and if I could just a quick story. Um, so back in 2020, there were uh, a number of racial protests in our country, and uh, and I didn't feel like I had a great understanding of what was happening as a, a, middle, cli- a middle class white man. I, I didn't have the you know that that experience, and so uh, I had quite a few conversations that year with my biracial foster daughter, um, and. Uh, <laughs> I read I read a few I read a few books um, to to try to gain a better perspective a different perspective on what was happening I try to be open uh, in, in in looking at different perspectives you know not and and not closed minded um, and one of the things that I wasn't understanding very well uh, was the Black Lives Matter movement at the beginning of it um, as an idea. Um, you know, as an organization, I'm I'm going to set that aside. But just as an idea, um, and when, when Izzy explained, helped me to see that the movement, as she understood it, wasn't insinuating that Black lives mattered more than other lives, but that Black lives mattered also. That the idea was that that historically, and I can you know we could see this historically speaking, um, we haven't done a great job uh, elevating Black lives to matter uh that as as much you know that i mean slavery for example um right and so uh and so so like black lives matter uh, also not more and so it wasn't it wasn't like a antagonistic thing um just as an idea again as an idea it wasn't antagonistic as an idea it was um these lives also matter and when i when i really digested that, that's a thoroughly biblical idea. It is. That, that, that each life matters, and one type of life shouldn't matter more than another, whether that be race or gender or age, lives matter. So, so like, the pro-life
0: racist makes no sense. Right. That's, it makes, you're, you're either for life or you're not. Right, exactly. Right, right. right. Yeah, well, yeah. but,
1: and then I would also say, though, to me, I would suggest that when it comes to the abortion issue, unborn lives matter. Um, that, that if we're going to be consistent across the board, um, not that they matter more. It's the same thing. Unborn lives don't matter more than women's lives. you know, we, Because I feel like this year uh, we've, we've really fully kind of turned this into a women's rights issue. And I don't think that's the totality of it. I think it's not that unborn lives matter more than women's lives, but unborn lives also matter. And, and I think that's the piece that gets lost. I, I don't understand why it makes me a monster if I go to social media and suggest that unborn lives also matter because standing up for the rights of a group of people who can't stand or speak for themselves is not a bad thing. And it's a thoroughly Christian and biblical and Jesus thing to do to stand up for, for minority people who cannot speak for themselves. Um, and so, yes, I I do think someone should be pointing out that, that, that unborn lives matter Mm -hmm. as, as well.
0: Yeah, and it's obviously Roe v. Wade, it really did not obviously settle the divide at all. No. Yeah, I mean, when you saw overturned, you saw how deep this was.
1: But it also didn't make abortion illegal, though. I mean, yes, it, it just right, right, it just yes. sent it to the states right, right, to yeah. decide for themselves. And, and in the last election, five different states had it on the ballot, and yeah. all five of those states either failed to pass the restrictions on abortion or... Or enshrined uh, abortion rights in their constitution. So the thing that, that that it seemed like the whole country was on fire, you know, for sure this is going to happen now. That's not what happened in the election, because again, when you let the people in a democracy decide, the majority opinion will decide. Yeah. And and again, that's that's what happened. Right. Yeah. In, in the state laws. Yeah. I real quick too. I yeah. I, I want to point out that when we. When we talk about this issue, inevitably, we, we, we talk about uh, uh, rape and incest and, and abortions that are, that are medically necessary. And I want to acknowledge as a Christian that those are real situations. I'm not, I don't have my head in the sand. I understand that those difficult. are incredibly difficult things. And those are real things that happen to real people, and, 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 and real people have to make real difficult decisions. And I, so I don't want to be insensitive to that at all. Um, I, I don't want to suggest that there aren't real choices to be made situationally. I do want to put it in perspective. Um, according to USA Today, about 1% of abortions uh, are, are, are because a woman became pregnant through a rape. Uh, about 0.5% is through an incestuous relationship. Um, and, and the Pew Research Center uh, says that about 2% of all abortions in the U.S. involve some type of health complication. And so when you add those things up, that means that somewhere in the neighborhood of 96% of abortions in this country are elective procedures that are not medically necessary or resulting from rape or incest, from like a forced situation. Yeah. And so I, I think you can have a conversation about a starting point conversation about those 96% before you get into the yeah. 4%. Yeah, to handle the 96%, yeah. I, I think I think a false move that a
0: lot of pastors that I know kind of made was when it happened, when I got up in the morning, it was I think it was a Friday morning, I got up and, and saw the news headline. I saw a lot of pastors go to social media and be like, this is fantastic news. This is great news. And all of a sudden, they found out that not everybody in their church agreed that it was fantastic news and that there was a lot of nuanced uh, feelings about it. And so what I would say to us as a people as as we're talking about this is just I would ask you to pray about when it comes to life and being pro-life, am I a consistent person when when it it comes to being pro-life? You know, is, is there any classism in me? Or racism in me, or or is there any inconsistency in me where I am being pro this type of life but not pro that type of life? Right. And honestly, just repent of it because God's about life. Right. Every part of the gospel involves life. Right. And so that, that's why I would just everybody just needs to maybe less debating on social media and more internal conversation about am I am I truly pro life or
1: am I Are are there some
0: things in me that God wants to do work on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we agree that abortion is one of those issues that we're facing that's bigger than than simple politics. It's it's a spiritual issue. Um, It involves not just the loss of rights, but the loss of life. Uh, and so there's a lot at stake, right. yes. Um, in 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 the issue, uh, and and, and everybody it, personalizes it.
0: Yes, like I think about my kids and my sister's kids. Someone else might that has had an abortion might think about their very difficult circumstances and yes. why they decided. Right. Everybody's just or or their sisters doing that or whatever. Right. Everyone
1: immediately internalizes it. Right. And that makes it hard to conversate about it. Right. It does. Yeah. It does. But but I I think and you can disagree obviously, but I I think those issues politically are rare. Um, yeah. I, I think I think issues like that one that that it's just a, that's a different kind of issue. Um, I think most political issues just flow from different ways of viewing the world. Right. Uh, politically, most of our disagreements uh, it, it just involve you know what are the problems that we're facing and, and what are the best ways to to solve those problems. Um, I think one of the ways of viewing the world uh, is what we're going to talk about next. Uh, while we're just hitting all the greatest hits, we're going to talk about Christian nationalism this morning. So, so Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity, that the government should take active steps to keep it that way, to keep us a Christian nation. Um, so it's the belief that America is and always has been a Christian nation. And it comes from the idea that that God has bestowed this unique privilege and responsibility upon a particular country uh, to represent Christ. A lot like Israel in the Old Testament, that God has chosen a people. America is the new Israel. Right. That God Uh, has chosen a nation. So Christian nationalists, uh, we, we, not we, Christian nationalists consider it their duty to promote and defend the parts of the Christian faith at all costs in every public arena that, that, that we, we need to make our government a Christian government it would, would be uh, the, the idea there. And, and I would challenge that right off the top with the second clause of the First Amendment. Before I even go to the Bible, I would go to the Constitution on that. Um, the First Amendment expressly prohibits Congress from adopting any form of national religion. So right off the top, before we bring the Bible into it, our Constitution doesn't allow it, first of all. Uh, So we need to be careful about expecting our culture to be Christian. Um, I think that's setting us up to be very disappointed. Um, In John 17, Jesus is praying uh, about his disciples. And he says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And so I think I'm on firm biblical ground To say that making our country Christian is not the mission Jesus left for us. Mm -hmm. That's not the goal that Jesus has in mind for me as a Christian or for us as a church to make this country into a Christian nation. When when he talks to Pilate in, in John 18, the very next chapter, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by their Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is from another place. So not only is our mission not about politics, it's not even about earth. It's not even about this place. Forget country. It's not even about this world. Our mission is bigger than that. And when we settle for a mission that's way too small, then we get off track in in what God's calling us to do. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you need to be able to... You need to be able to see your nation clearly. A lot of people throughout human history have really made this mistake. Uh, it's okay to love your country and to and love the freedoms that we have, but to be able to identify idols and, and national sins and all that. And the, the, the more you get into nationalism, the less of that you see. And all of a sudden you're deceived, and you're going along and getting along. And um, it's, Christian nationalism is deceptively dangerous, right. I, I think because it just kind of blinds you to what's going on in your own nation with your own neighbors yeah. and, and that, that um, what seems like the American dream all of a sudden you should be able to identify that some of the nature of that is actually idolatry and sinful. Right. So,
1: well, and I, yeah. again, it's, it's just another way that we put our trust in something other than God. Right. Um. That, you know, that, that we're advocating for, for this thing when, when, you know, God has this thing in mind for us. Yeah. Um, and, and, and obviously, in Scripture, you know, when, when, when the Sanhedrin's trying to force the disciples to, to stop talking about Jesus, Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. That, that, that there are times when the government, uh, you know, in theory, is going to insist on something that, in all good conscience, as Christians, it violates what we're called to do in Scripture, and we just can't do it. Um, those times are pretty rare, right. uh, in, in, in my experience. There should think be some, though. Yeah. 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 So.
0: And, and the more you get into nationalism, the the more that disappears altogether. Right. It's just like, well, right. you know, If my nation says it's right, then right, it's it's right. And right. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, because that's not right. that, that, that's not that's not true. Right. I mean, well, and, and
1: yeah. I think that. Yeah. So in Romans thirteen, you know, Paul talks about the Christian's relationship to government and he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there's no no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So it's not wrong, like we said earlier, it's not wrong for a Christian to participate in government, but we're simply not called to a crusade to force our faith on our culture. Yeah, Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible are we called to make our government Christian. Right. Um, in fact, in the Old Testament, when the people wanted a king to establish a religious government, God yeah. was opposed to the idea.
0: Uh, for Israel. Yeah. Let alone, for, yeah. yeah, Right, I mean, like, yeah, historically, yeah, yeah, mixing yeah.
1: faith and government has always gone really badly.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Um, let's go ahead and do, are you <laughs> asking a
1: question? Can I ask question? I'm not sure if I can. Yeah. Uh, it's a, now right. it's a town hall meeting. <laughs> Uh What what do you think that means in the context of this discussion
0: about nationalism?
1: Well, I don't think it means the government of the United States will be upon his shoulders.
0: Yeah, when when I've preached on that passage before, I've talked about it, that he's stronger, he is bigger and stronger than government. And and so you really want your faith to be in in him. Um, You know, there was a time where God was working through an individual government to... We know now what he was doing, you know, to, br- to bring us Jesus, um, and now the new Israel. I think the New Testament's pretty clear on the new Israel is the church, right? It, you know, we're we're the
1: people of God, right? Well, and uh, I think contextually yeah. in that prophecy, it's talking about the establishment of God's kingdom, right? Um, and so yeah. the government will be upon his shoulders. Is is the government the leadership of God's kingdom, right? Um, I, don't, I don't think it's talking about a worldly government. That is built on Jesus. I I think it's talking about the government of the kingdom of God. The 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 future eschatological kingdom uh, will be built on the shoulders of Jesus. Yeah. Um. I think. Good question. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Let's. Um,
0: let's do. Uh, I'm going to do just inflation very quickly as we move <laughs> into closing here. About just, I, I, we know that this has been a, a year. We in kids on then, yeah, We're both I, I preaching. He, yeah. he said. He, he said. Just out of curiosity, which of you is preaching today? Meaning that when Scott preaches, it's a lot longer than when I <laughs> preach. He said, which of you? Which of you is preaching? I said, well, unfortunately, we're both preaching. <laughs> so I would get some extra snacks. <laughs> so um, yeah, that, that's my advice. Yeah. Um, that it's been a high inflation year, a stressful year for um, people financially. And I just want to read this passage over just for a minute from Jesus um, and and try to find some peace. Because I know coming out of Christmas, it's a time where people are stressed. And the, the financials aren't adding up for a lot of families. And like Scott talked about earlier, there's a lot of spending. Um, you know, groceries are, are crazy and all of that. So Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And I think that's um, what, what I would encourage everyone to is don't panic. Um, make good decisions, the best decisions that you can, uh, and be faithful. And I know you have kind of a thing about making good choices too.
1: Yeah. About, yeah. I mean, everyone
0: has choices. I should say.
1: Yeah. Well, and I and I'll say, you know, we've been talking about putting our hope in government, and and that that's kind of foolish. Um, I would also say that putting your hope in yourself to build financial security is kind of arrogant. Actually, I mean, First Timothy says that. It does say that. Um, so be careful where you put your hope. Uh, be careful wh- where you put your trust when it comes to your money, that, that God is calling us to actively trust him in these, kind, in these areas. Um, so let me try to tell this story short, um, which means not using this because in there it's long. Um, so when we first moved to Decatur, it was January 2007. Um, crazy, actually, to think. Sixteen yeah. years ago now, mm-hmm. um, but when we first came to Decatur, it was uh, sixteen years ago my uh, my my seniors were uh, one <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and so, so, so yeah i mean went, went that's that's it. really crazy <laughs> um, and when we first came here, we owned a home uh, in Michigan that, when we moved and i don 't know if you remember what the housing market was like in two thousand and seven, but um it wasn't good <laughs> and and so we ended up uh, we we yeah, didn't, we weren't able to sell that home until 2013, uh, so we had that, that we had that home for six years, uh, making a mortgage payment there and a rent payment here, and, um, and, so, and, and so that was difficult, and in the process of that, uh, we turned to credit cards to, to kind of make ends meet, and we built up a lot of debt is, I guess, the, the short version of that story, uh, $27,000, in fact, in, in credit card debt, and um, it got bad. And, you know, so we can, I I understand, like when people come to me and talk about a hopeless financial situation and I can't get out and I'm buried, I get it. I was there. Um, But as we kind of journeyed through that, we realized that even though we didn't have enough money at the end of every month to even pay our bills, that we did have choices that we could make, Um, sacrifices that we did make. Uh, We we got serious. It was a Dave Ramsey program that we did in our small group. We got serious about doing this right and, like, being adults. And so we uh, started working our way out of debt, and, um, you know, we... You know, working his You said three years. Yeah, three years. It took yeah, us three right. years yeah. of not eating out, not going on vacations. Um, Sarah reminded me this year that that year we we uh, committed to a, a Christmas budget. She and I for one another of only buying three things and not spending more than twenty five dollars. So like one of her thing, one of her gifts that year was a hairbrush because her, her hairbrush had broken, um, and so like we we really tightened the belt. Um, to get serious about it. We made choices. And after three years, it took it took just under three years, we we were out of debt. We $27,000 out of debt. Um, you know, we were paying off the smallest one first and then just taking that and putting it all on the next one. Like, you know, to work the program the way it said. So let's try it and, and not shortcut it. Let's see if it works. For us, it did. Um, and so we got out of debt. Uh, in those three years, established some habits for us, that continued after that. So, we were able to, uh, after we got out of debt, we didn't just go back to spending. Um, we were able to take that money and instead of paying on debts, we were able to save money. Um, and ultimately, that decision that we made to enter into that 14 years ago now to get out of debt got us through these last couple of years, honestly. I mean, like the, the, the emergency fund money that we were able to save up, if we had been in the financial situation we were in a decade ago, in 2022, I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. Um, we we couldn't. I mean, we would, have, we would have lost things, you know. But but that decision that we made, those choices that we made, put us in a position not just to make it through twenty twenty two, but we've been in a, a position to be more generous than we ever thought we could be. Yeah. Um, we've been able to, you know, when the, the government gave us stimulus money, we tithed. and we were able to bless all these different organizations and different people, individuals, because we made these choices with our money um, and. One of the choices we made through that whole time was not to stop tithing. That that giving to God uh, was going to be an essential expense, the first thing in our budget. And I really, truly believe that God honored that God honored that choice that we made. Um, that we were going to we were going to be generous, uh, but you know, in, in our giving to, to God's kingdom. Um, and we were going to be frugal in what we gave to ourselves uh, in order to kind of crawl our way out. And, and I just, if you're interested, I obviously could go on and on about that yeah. moment in, in our lives. But the point I'm trying to make is, if it may feel like you don't have any choices. And I'm, I'm here to say that you do. That there, there are choices you can make and help you can get. Um, to, to, to work through uh, financial difficulties in a God-honoring way. Yeah,
0: yeah. we want to, uh, before we kind of pray and, and move into a time of communion, I just want to cast a real quick vision for what the next little bit for us as a church is going to look like of um, January and February. Uh, we're going to close out the book of Genesis and study uh, the life of Joseph, and uh, then we're going to be in the Gospels for another couple months until the summer and just kind of be in the life of Jesus and explore and talk about that, so we're excited for the year to come, and uh, hopefully you're not too mad about anything that was said right now, um, <laughs> and uh, do you have anything you want to say about the new year? I know you had a couple of quick hits, right?
1: Uh, yeah, just... I just real quick was going to remind everybody, I mean, I mentioned the, the the James study that Youth Ministry is going into. Um, we're, we are traveling to CIY Move this summer. Uh, if you're in high school, you got kids uh, that age. Uh, the dates are going to be June 26th through July 1st. So the very last week in June, we'll be up, going up to, to Michigan. Um, and we're having our annual Deeper Life retreat at Little Galilee, uh, March 31st through April 2nd. So just want to hit those real quick for Youth Ministry.
0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the day and for the new year, Um, new opportunities, uh, like Scott said, new choices, um, new vision for a lot of lives here, Um, and uh, I just want to pray as we're uh, moving forward that we wouldn't trust in things like politicians or money or, or any of the stuff that we've talked about, but that we would turn to you for life and that we would... Trust in you and and trust your way. We're grateful. Uh, We're grateful for the way that you lead us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion uh, right now as a church family, and they'll pass it out. And it's just an opportunity for you to reflect on God and his grace and the difference that he's made in your life. And then I'll come back up in just a few minutes, and we'll receive it all together as a church family. Body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. It is in the name of him that we pray. Amen. You guys stand up. Let's close with one last song. Happy New Year. Glad that you were here.